And so I was like, wow, you know, just I've never really gone in depth on the topic of of sin, and we're going to follow this up with a book series, which I haven't done a book series in quite a long time, so after this we'll probably jump into the book of Colossians, uh, because I think there's a good tie-in uh, with what we're going to talk about. So this is a, a new series, and I, I'm going to tell you this is going to be a challenging series. Uh, <clears throat> this is going to be a counter-cultural series, and, uh, and so I, I just gonna, I'm just going to lay it out there. As God's Word says, uh, and we talk about this topic of sin. So uh, we're going to start in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Uh, actually, the very first time I preached in public was on Isaiah 6, but it wasn't this sermon. Uh, I preached in high school in a little preaching competition. I think I got third place uh, in the competition. But, um, but the first time that I was asked to preach publicly uh, was at my church in Alabama on a Sunday night. Uh, Pastor Salter asked me if I'd preach, and I was like, never have, but I'll give it, at least in public, so I'll give it a shot. And at that time, I was fresh out of uh, Southwestern Music School, and the passage that all music students have to know, frontwards and backwards, is Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, so I remember one test just wrote about a two-hour essay just on this, these few verses. So we're not going to uh, get into the worship side of it as much, but we're going to look at it today as our jumping part point. But as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking, okay, where do we start? And we're just going to put this up here on the screen. The standard that everything we're going to be judging against is God's holiness. God's holiness, if you want to write something down as we get into this, is the standard. Now, my struggle as I started really pondering and praying about this series is, how do you describe the holiness of God? How, how, do, you, how do you describe something that in some ways seems to be so kind of abstract? I mean, how, how, do, how do you paint a picture of the holiness of God? And then there's other questions like, how does the holiness of God affect us? And why should we care about the holiness of God? And, and what should be our response to the holiness of God? And, and, and so as I, I, as I was kind of thinking about this, praying about it, it's like, okay, how, how does this work? How, how, do we, how do we try to even get some sort of grasp on this whole concept of holiness? But I'm going to tell you this. If you can grasp the holiness of God, it will change you. If you can grasp how holy God is, it will affect your attitude of sin. It will change your view of yourself. It will change your actions. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, as I said a minute ago, that when you grasp the holiness of God, it will put you at odds with our current culture. This is definitely a countercultural, impolitically correct sermon. <laughs> How do you say it? Politically incorrect sermon. All right? But I'm going to tell you that if you grasp the holiness of God, if you can just start grasping it, I don't think any of us can fully grasp it. I know we can't. But if you can just start to grasp the holiness of God, <clears throat> it will change you. It will challenge you in ways. I know it's been challenging me. And, and I'll tell you that the reason I make that statement is when you look at people in the Scripture who come face to face with the holiness of God, it changes them. And one such passage is Isaiah chapter 6. So hopefully you all have found that. 
As you know, we're in the Old Testament. So I just want to start there in Isaiah chapter 6 because I think this is a a great jumping off point for somebody who came face to face with God in all his holiness. So let's look at it in verse 1. It says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Okay, so Isaiah is the prophet here. He is a prophet of God. Uh, Uzziah was a, a great king and uh, a pretty godly king, made a, one big mistake. But other than that, he was, he was really a good king. And this is such, here, here's the thing, just stop right there. How many of y'all remember where you were at when you heard that John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Okay. How many of y'all remember where you were at when Ronald Reagan, I was before JFK. So how many of y'all were, I was after JFK. How many of you when Ronald Reagan was, was shot? Anybody remember that? I remember that exact moment. Okay. How many remember where you were at when the Challenger blew up? Remember that in, in 80? Okay, 84 or so, what was that, 86. Um, when those moments happen in life that you're just like, whoa, you remember, right? It's just like semen in your mind. So Isaiah, this is one of those moments that is just like, boom, in his mind. He know in the year King Uzziah died, I saw this. This is something I'll never forget. Look, look at what he keeps going on as he says this. Seraphim were standing above him, Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And called, one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, this is Solomon's temple, one of the seven greatest wonders in the world. And in this vision that Isaiah sees, the temple was filled with smoke. The angels are proclaiming, holy, holy, holy. So again, I just want you to picture God in this vision that Isaiah sees. God is seated high and lifted up on this throne. His robe there and smoke and and the angels are flying and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. Now, here's an interesting thing. They say, holy, holy holy, holy, three times. Can you think of anywhere in the scripture where it says God is love, love, love? God is love, right? God is a God of grace, but can you think of any time in scripture where we read God is grace, grace, grace? Any time in scripture we read God is mercy, mercy, mercy? No. The only time that we have where some attribute of God is repeated three times is this right here. Holy, holy, holy. Now, in the Hebrew world, when you repeated something three times, that was, it meant totally and utterly this way. In other words, God is totally and utterly holy. There is no unholiness in God. There is no impurity in God. He is totally holy. He is totally holy. He is totally holy. He is completely holy, holy, holy. Now, again, God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. We read all those, and those are things about God, but we never read God is love, love, love. God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is never grace, grace, grace. But we do read God is holy, holy, holy. The reason that we read this is that's a sign of utter completeness, and it's to show us that holiness is at the core of God's being. 
Holiness is the core of God's being. Out of everything, love, mercy, grace, all that flows out of his holiness. All of that flows out of his holiness. All those things, love, mercy, grace, and all those other things are rooted right there in the core of God's holiness. Now, what does that word holy mean? Well, the word literally means to cut or to separate. And one, one way that we describe it is to be holy means that God is totally set apart. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, when I get to see the man upstairs, <clears throat> don't ever say that in my presence, please, if you're a member of Warren Baptist Church. He is not a man. He is a spirit. He is not just upstairs. He is on his throne. He is not a man who's upstairs. He is a holy Holy, holy God. He's not a person. And again, this is what makes this sermon kind of difficult because I'm a finite, sinful person trying to describe an infinite, self-existing being that is completely holy. But God is totally separate. He is not a man. He is separate. He is separate from his creation. He does not need you and me. I know a lot of times we think God needs me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need us. He is totally outside of time. He, he is not in time. He is not bound by time. God is completely separate from his creation. He's separate from humanity. He's separate from the angels. In fact, let me just go show you a couple passages real quick. First Samuel 2 2. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. There is no one holy like him. Here's another one. Exodus 15 11. Lord, who is like you among the gods? Small g. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered in praises, performing in wonders? And of course, the question is there's nobody like you. Totally, totally, totally different. Now, Again, as I was thinking about this, how can, we, how can we even illustrate God's glory? Well, I think, or His holiness, if you go back to verse 2, I think gives us a little bit of a glimpse. Look, look at verse 2 again. It says this, Seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now, in the Bible, <clears throat> this is the only place that seraphim are mentioned. You've probably heard of cherubim. We saw, sang about it in the song, cherubim, seraphim. We read about Michael the archangel, things like that. But this is the only time in Scripture that this group, this class of angels are mentioned. The word seraphim literally means fiery ones. These are fiery beings. They literally means burning. It's like these angels are on fire. They're like these fiery beings. And again, I think if you and I came face to face with one of these angels, we'd be on our faces. Okay? I mean, these are scary, fiery beings. And I wondered why seraphim? Why not cherubim? Because cherubim are not described as fiery. Why seraphim? Because I think to illustrate God's holiness, fire is often used to describe God's holiness in Scripture. Okay? In fact, there are several times when God's holiness is described by fire. For example, you may know the story uh, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were out in the wilderness, and, and God's glory showed up. 
and, and, and people were worshiping. And uh, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, decided, oh, look at what God's doing, you know. And, and the people were just in awe and stuff like this. this. is the first big worship service, if I recall. And Nadab and Abihu say, hey, we're going to offer up some all incense to God. And it was kind of, they were trying to be a dog and pony show. They were trying to be like, look what we're going to do. We're going to do some incense and watch what God's getting ready to do. Like he's going to do our bidding. And when they did that, it was unauthorized. God didn't tell them to do that. And God struck them with fire. Fire came down from heaven and burned them right there on the spot. I mean, that was. And Moses turned to Aaron and said, don't you dare mourn for those boys. I mean, that's tough. But God's not a dog and pony show. And his fire consumed them. There's another time, you probably know the story of Elijah and the, uh, the Baal, uh, prophets of Baal, and they're all, you know, doing the altar thing, and, they, and they, they're worshiping and dancing and all that, and nothing happens, nothing happens, and finally Elijah says, okay, guys, it's my turn. He puts the, the sacrifice in the altar and builds a trench around it and bores water, 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 and God, and Elijah prays, and this fire just comes out of heaven and just totally decimates everything on that altar again. You see a lot of times God's holiness in Scripture displayed by fire. He is a consuming fire. So I think that the reason you have these seraphim, these fiery beings, is just to kind of illustrate the burning, the fire of God's holiness. And, and let me just tell you, in Scripture, the reason God's holiness is often described as fire is because God will not tolerate anything unholy. He would not put up with Nadab and Abihu trying to make him a dog and pony show. He totally destroyed it. He totally destroyed the altar in front of the Baals and in front of the, the, the priests of Baal. And they were all later executed because God doesn't tolerate anything unholy. Now, you think, man, how does he even tolerate us? <laughs> I mean, that should scare the bejeebies out of you. Because I don't think anybody in here is holy. All right? We're, we're, we're sinful, messed up people. Why hasn't God, have you ever wondered why God just hasn't fried you yet? I know I have. You know? Because <clears throat> when I look at some things I've done in my life, I'm like, God, why didn't you just kill me? Well, thank goodness God's also merciful. And God's also a God of grace. But one day, I'm just going to tell you this, folks. Everyone will be judged against the standard of God's holiness. Everybody. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's been taken care of because Christ has taken on your sin. And if you've responded to him and invited him into your heart, then that, that when, when God looks at you, he sees Christ. He sees you imputed by the blood of Christ, covered by the blood of Christ. If you're not a believer, though, you don't have that. And nobody will stand against God's holiness. So just to go back, God's holiness is the standard. In fact, I, I, I want to share with you a scripture that actually sparked a revival in America called the Great Awakening. And that is this. It is terrifying to fall into the hands of the living God. It is terrifying to fall in the hands of the living God. Now, this is where we're going to get really countercultural. Our culture today is telling us we need to tolerate everything. Now, the old definition of tolerance was, I may have a disagreement with you, but I can tolerate you. That's okay. We, we can still agree to disagree. All right, I'm cool with that. I mean, <clears throat> there's people that I definitely don't agree with, but hey, I'm cool. You know, I can still eat dinner with them, go to their house, shake their hand, whatever. That's fine. 
The new definition, though, that our culture is telling us is it's not enough just to agree to disagree, but you have to agree that what they believe is right. That's the tolerance we're being told today. If I don't agree with you that what you say is right, then I'm being intolerant. No, I just don't agree with you. Doesn't mean I hate you. Doesn't mean I don't care for you. Doesn't mean I won't do anything for you to help you. I just don't agree with you. Now, we are told to be tolerant, but let me tell you something. God is not tolerant. Everything's going to be judged by God's holiness. God cannot tolerate evil in his presence. Can't tolerate it. There is no evil in heaven. God can't tolerate in his heaven. God's hatred of sin is absolutely uncompromising. Why? Because sin is rebellion against God's holiness. That's what sin is. It is absolute rebellion against God's holiness. And, and, and now, let me just kind of try to illustrate this. So I, again, I was really struggling with how, how can I, is there somewhere in the past in the Bible that I can go that gives us a glimpse of how God's holiness is displayed in just life? And uh, I'm going to go back. We're in the Old Testament. We're going to go back even further in the Old Testament. But I want to set this up, okay? Because this is really something. This is a passage that's often thrown around today. And, and we need to understand this passage. In the Old Testament, God called out a people, the Jews. He chose them. Uh, Abraham, he chose Abraham. Abraham became, became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob had 12 kids, and they became the 12 tribes, and they go to uh, Egypt, and originally everything's really cool. When Joseph, their brother, was kind of the second in command, Joseph dies. Other oh, pharaohs come up. They forget about Joseph, and overall, over time, they enslave the, the Israelites for the next 400, 430 years. The Israelites are basically in an incubator. Moses comes in, let my people go. You know the story. This is the cliff notes. They walk out of Egypt, and God is now uh, creating for himself a new nation of people. Okay, so this is a brand new nation that's been birthed. And so here they are. So here they are in the wilderness, and God gives them laws. Basically, there's three sections. There's the civil laws, how they're to do their courts. There's the ceremonial laws, how they are to worship. And there are their moral laws. These laws are given to the Israelites at this time in history. The reason God gives them the laws is because they are to be a light to the nations. what, What God is doing here is he's saying, okay, I want other nations. You are to be different than everybody else. I want you to reflect my holiness and to show other nations, because all these other nations are worshiping multiple gods, and they're, and, and they're doing all things that are w- totally contrary to me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how to reflect my holiness so that you'll be a light, and so people will say, wow, they are different. They are totally different. Now, what I'm going to read to you is one of those sections where God tells them This is how you're to be. Now, I'm going to tell you, what I'm about to read may make you upset. It may make you angry. It may make you say, I'll never go back to that church again. And what I'm going to read to you has been dismissed by a lot of religious leaders because it is so harsh, at least compared to our culture. And some people say this is mean, but you have to understand this is God saying I want you to reflect my holiness, and this is, he's speaking to the Jewish people, I want you to be different than all those around you, so that hopefully they'll see 
that there is light, that they'll see who I am. Now, now let me, before I get into this passage, let me just say this. A consolation is we don't live under the Old Testament law. When I see people on Twitter, I'm, I'm always, you know, out there occasionally getting into conversations with people. A lot of times people will cite passages from the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. We don't live under the Torah, okay? So that's a little consolation. You and I don't live under this Torah, okay, anymore. But it certainly helps us understand the holiness of God because God's holiness doesn't change. God's holiness doesn't change. It, it, it still tells, this still tells with us what, how God feels about these things. Now, we live under the new covenant, which is the New Testament. We live under Christ. It doesn't give us freedom to go and just live in rebellion. No, if anything, we should live to be holy. But this gives us right there just one sampling of God's holiness on display and, and how God feels about things. Now, again, I, I just want to, before I read this, I want you to understand that the context here is he's saying, I want you to be a holy people. I want you to be a different people. I want you to live differently. I want you to think differently. I want you to act differently. And, and again, this is given to a specific group of people at a specific time. We no longer live under the Old Testament. We live under the New Testament. However, we don't have a license to sin. So I'm trying to make this clear, okay? Some of you all may be nodding your head. Some of you aren't, okay? We don't go and do the things that he prescribes here today as far as the punishments, but it still tells us the holiness of God. So go back to Leviticus chapter 20. You may have never heard a preacher preach on Leviticus. It's a rough book. I'm just going to read Leviticus chapter 20. We'll stop a little bit along the way. But I believe this passage at least gives us a glimpse in how serious God takes sin and how these things, and this is just a sampling, are a violation of God's holiness. So let's look at it. And again, I'm just going to share with you what God's word says. The Lord spoke to Moses. <clears throat> Say to the Israelites, again, this is at the beginning, this is specific time, specific people, but it still gives us a glimpse. Any Israelite or foreigner living in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech must be put to death. The people of the country are to stone him. Now, I know that's harsh, but God's like, you are not going to be sacrificing your children to other gods because that's exactly what everybody else did around it, but that's not how you're going to do all right? Uh, you're not going to be sacrificing your children to other God. I think, uh, I think all of us be like, well, that's, that's a good one. I get that one, okay? Verse 3, I will turn against that man and cut him off from his people because he gave his offspring to Molech, defiling my sanctuary and profaning my holy name. But if the people of the country look the other way when that man gives any of his children to Molech and do not put him to death... Then I will turn against that man and his family and cut off from their people both him and all who follow him, prostituting themselves with Molech. So God says, okay, if you guys don't have the stomach to do it, I'll take care of it. Probably an early death. Because I don't tolerate you offering your children as sacrifices, and I don't tolerate especially you offering them to other gods. I am God. Nobody else is. Nobody else is. Next one. Now this one right here is something we see in our culture a lot. Whoever turns to mediums or spiritists and prostitutes himself with them, I will turn against that person and cut him off from his people. 
Now, let's be honest, there are TV shows out there today. The Long Island Medium, I think, something like that. All sorts of shows where people go in and they come back. You know, there's some, I can't remember his name, some young guy in Hollywood, like 18, and these people are fawning all over him. He's a medium to the stars. God says, nope. Nope. That's against my holiness. Look at what he says. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Set yourself apart. For I am the Lord your God. You are to be different. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sets you apart. I am making you and to be a holy people. This is what I'm calling you to be. Now, the next section is really, really tough. But I'm going to read it. Now again, you might be, I know this this is countercultural, but just remind you before I get into it, God's holiness is the standard. If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be put to death. He has cursed his father or mother, his blood is on his hands. If a man commits adultery with a married woman, if he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his father's wife, he has shamed his father. Both of them must be put to death. Their blood is on their own hands. If a man sleeps with his daughter-in-law, both of them must be put to death. They have acted perversely. Their blood is on their own hands. If a man sleeps with a man as with a woman, they have both committed an abomination. They must both be put to death. Their blood is on their own hands. If a man marries a man and her mother, it is depraved. But if he and they must be burned with fire, so that there will be no depravity among you. If a man has sexual intercourse with an animal, he must be put to death. You are also to kill the animal. If a woman comes near any animal and mates with it, you are to kill the woman and the animal. They must be put to death. Their own blood is on them. If a man marries his sister, whether his father's daughter or his mother's daughter, and they have sexual relations, it is a disgrace. They must be cut off publicly from their people. He has had sexual intercourse with his sister. He will, be, he will bear his punishment. If a man sleeps with a menstruating woman and has sexual intercourse with her, he has exposed the source of her flow, and she has uncovered the source of her blood. Both of them must be cut off from their people. You must not have sexual intercourse with your mother's sister or your father's sister, for is exposing one's own blood relative. Both people will bear their punishment. If a man sleeps with his aunt, he, is shamed by his, he has shamed his uncle. They will bear their guilt and die childless. If a man marries his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has shamed his brother. They will be childless. It's tough. Now again, we live in a culture that says, hey, if it feels good, do it, right? As long as it's not hurting anybody, but it does hurt people. And again, this is very countercultural. But I remind you, God's standard is holiness. And God is telling his people, you are to be different, you are to be set apart, because you are to reflect me. You are to be a light to the nations. Again, God's standard is holiness. Look at verse 22. You are to keep my statutes and all my ordinances and do them so that the land where I am bringing you will live, you to live will not vomit you out. You must not follow the statutes of the nations I am driving out before you, for they did all of these things and I abhorred them. 
And I promised you, you will inherit their land since I give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who set you apart from the peoples. Therefore, you must distinguish the clean animal from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean one. You are to not make yourselves detestable by any land, animal, bird, or whatever crawls in the ground. I have set these apart as unclean for you. Verse 26, you are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from the nations to be mine. A man or a woman who is a medium or spiritist must be put to death. They are to be stoned. Their blood is on their own hands. That is how serious God takes his holiness. Do you understand when on the cross, when Christ became sin, who knew no sin became sin, can you imagine when he faced the wrath of God on our behalf? No wonder he was crying, dripping sweat of blood. No wonder when they pierced him out, flowed water and blood, his, it, it separated. He, it was so, I don't think we can fathom the traumatic wrath that Christ felt on that cross on our behalf because God was pulling his absolute hatred of sin right on his son. This is God's holiness on display. And you know, again, one of the ways that you saw the, the, the altar, the seraphim, and I believe that the reason we see the seraphim is they are, they are fiery beings and God's holiness is often described. And when you look at this, this is just consuming fire. I mean, you are to put them to death. They are to be cut off. No tolerate. Boom. God's like, I have no tolerance for this. And I don't know about you, but a few weeks ago, the last time it got kind of cold outside, my wife decided that we would finish burning down the last forest. And so we were going to have a fire in our fireplace. So we got the fire going. And uh, the, the diet demon possessed my wife that night. She says, let's have s'mores. It's the last time for the fire. So I gave in as a good husband. And so we, we had the, the marshmallows and the skewer and things like that. And so we're sitting there by the fire. And, and we, you know, we're sitting there roasting our marshmallows in a little fireplace. And uh, one of the marshmallows caught on fire. And I went to blow it out. And it fell off the skewer. And it landed on my sock. And my sock started catching on fire. And I'm sitting there, and I grab the marshmallow and throw it in, you know, and trying to keep the house from burning down. I just think the Lord was telling us, it's enough. No more fire. Uh, but I burned my finger. So I, I went and grabbed an ice cube, put it on my pinky, and I uh, kept it on my pinky, and then went to bed and was holding it on my pinky, you know, and things like that. And uh, boy, you know, y'all ever been burned? That hurts. It stings. And the next morning, I had a few blisters on my pinky and things like that. And that little thing just burned and stung the rest of the day and things like that. And I don't know about you, but fire hurts, doesn't it? Fire hurts. I remember years ago when I was a kid, we moved to Chattanooga, just moved to Chattanooga. I met some friends. Somebody had a mini bike. My parents told me not to ride on the mini bike. But, of course, being a dutifully good young son, I did. And I hopped on that mini bike. Well, the muffler was exposed. I didn't have a muffler guard, and I burned the inside of my leg pretty severely. I had to go tell my mom. And that thing burned. Hurts. Fire hurts. God's holiness is a consuming fire, and it hurts. God's holiness is the standard. You know, when people say, you know, when I die, I'm going to stand before God and tell him a thing or two. No, you're not. 
you will be on your face. You'll want to crawl beneath whatever's up there. Because when you stand before a holy God, you can't stand it. And again, it's hard to grasp this. But again, look at the, look, go back to Isaiah 6 real quick. And I just want you to look at the, these angels again. Seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now, why would they cover their faces? Because they're like, I can't even look on the holiness of God. I can't, even, I can't even look. Why would they cover their feet? It's a sign of humility. Even the angels are this way. And I want you to look at verse 5. When Isaiah... The prophet of God, one of the great prophets of God. Then I said, woe is me, I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips. And because I have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me just tell you this. God's holiness is the standard and everything falls short of God's holiness. Everything is unclean compared to God's holiness. Look at this. Job 15, 15, the heavens are not pure in his sight. Job 25, 5, the stars are not pure in his sight. This is the kind of being we are dealing with. Now, why would I even preach this sermon? Because honestly, this is not the most comfortable thing to preach. Because I know this is countercultural, especially that Leviticus passage. It's, it's rough. I get it. Praise God we live under the blood of Christ. Okay? That's why Christians don't do these things. We don't go out and stone people and things like that because we live under the new covenant. But it shows us how serious God takes sin. But why do I preach this? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord literally means to live in reverence and to live in awe. When you and I live in awe and reverence of God, that is the beginning of of wisdom, wisdom to make the right decisions, wisdom how to navigate the culture, wisdom to know how to respond to the culture. When we have knowledge of the Holy One, it's understanding, we understand why God does what He does. We understand what God is doing. We understand how God wants us to live. We understand what it takes to please a holy God. Again, when I read Leviticus 20, I know that was harsh. Does it apply to us today? Yes and no. Yes, because Leviticus 20 and other passages in the Old Testament or the Torah, those first five books, show us the standard of God's holiness. Yes, because God is holy, and even though culture may dismiss these things and say it's okay, and even though TV shows may be created about people and things like that, God says he's not okay with this. God's not okay with it. And yes, because Leviticus 20 and other passages show us how much we all have fallen short of God's glory Now, and holiness. Now, don't sit here in judgment because all of us are sinners. We're all sinners. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. God's holiness is the standard, and God will judge according to his holiness. Nobody can, cons can withstand the consuming fire of God. And, and again, the Old Testament law reveals to us God's holiness in its raw Form. And the rest of the Old Testament 
illustrates to us that kings failed to live up to God's holiness. Even kings like David and, and lived, failed to live up to it. Prophets failed to live up to God's holiness. One right there, Isaiah. People failed to live up to God's holiness. The Jews failed to live up to God's holiness. Today, all of us failed to live up to God's holiness. That's why Paul said in Romans 3.23, all of us have sinned. We've all failed. And we've all fallen short of God's glory, literally the holiness of God. We've fallen short of it. That's the reality in our life. And the only way to be delivered from God's consuming fire is respond to God's conviction, repent of your sins, confess Christ as your Savior, and accept His payment on your behalf. That's the only way. That's the only way. Leviticus 20 was harsh. Does it apply to us today? Yes. I just told you some reasons why. No. Because across Christ, we no longer live under the demands of the Old Testament law. They were specific commands to specific people at a specific time, but yet they reveal to us God's holiness. Today, we live under the new covenant. You won't find these commands in the New Testament. We don't have commands to go out and stone people and all those things because we don't live under the old covenant. But yet, we are called in the New Testament as believers to be holy. We are called to be holy. Again, God's holiness is the standard and God will judge according to his holiness and all of us will stand before a holy God. Now, I don't know about you, but that reality should scare you to death. So my question is, are you ready to stand before a holy God? One day you will. One day I will. And again, Hebrews 10.31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The only hope, that's why it's called good news. The gospel's good news. The only reason it's called good news is when I stand before God, God says, I see Christ has taken your sin on your behalf and paid the penalty. You're good. I don't know about you, but I'm happy about that one. If you don't know Christ, when you stand before him, he says, I don't see anything. So let's measure you against me. You fall short. I can't, I'm sorry, you failed to respond to me. I convicted you, you failed to respond to me. I have no choice. I have to let you pay for your sins. Are you ready to stand? before holy God. Let's pray. Father, I just think of you, first of all, that I can legitimately call you Father, and I pray that everybody in this room can legitimately call you Father. You are a holy God, and it's a terrifying thing. We all fall short of you. There is no one like you, no, not one. You take sin extremely seriously. So serious that you were willing to sacrifice your son so that we could have deliverance from it. Because as the Old Testament illustrated, nothing can save us from sin except the God-man Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that everybody in this room has responded to your conviction and ask you to come into their heart. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that's never responded to your conviction, I pray they'll get on their knees, repent of their sins, acknowledge they are unholy, they are sinners, 
and they need a Savior, and I pray that they'll just ask Christ to save their soul. And you will. You're so gracious, you will. I pray for our culture. Father, I have many friends who are not believers. I have some friends that it, it breaks my heart because they just, they don't respond. I pray that they'll come to Christ. God, I want to see all my friends in heaven. You've provided them a way. I pray as believers that we'll be salt and light, that we won't be hateful to those whose lives are counter against you, but we'll love them with the love of Christ. We'll speak the truth in love and we'll point them to Jesus. I know you're not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But I also know that you give us the ability to choose whether we're going to respond to you or not. God, all of us may know individuals that don't know Jesus right now. I just pray that we'll just lift them up to you. I pray for revival in our country. I pray that we'll turn back to you. Father, help us as believers to just let this sink in. And when we're faced with sin and Satan whispers in our ear, it's no big deal. Help us remember it is a big deal to a holy God. It is rebellion against him. And help us as your children to say no to sin because of what you've done for us. May it drive us to say no to that thing which would drive a wedge between you and us. Father, I love you. I thank you that you sent your son. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that it didn't just stop with the Old Testament, but we have the New Testament. Father, help us to stand strong, to speak the truth in love, and to be a holy people as you've called us to be holy. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.